Well, good morning, Placerita Bible Church. It uh, is a joy to be with you. I had a very long drive, maybe two minutes. I'm a block from the North Campus, just across the wash, so I'm a part of your community, and it's a joy to be here. I'm also your teammate down the road at the Masters University, and I want to say, first of all, how grateful, truly grateful, uh, we are at the university for the partnership of this church, your pastor, and your leadership team to really promote the educating and equipping of young people who we hope will be God glorifiers and kingdom of God influencers. And uh, your church is a great ally. Uh, I am the campus pastor. I have, I'm a department of one. I have no authority and no boundaries. And uh, so I'm, I'm partnering with people who do, um, faculty, staff, but also churches and parents to help young people become what God called them to be and what they were created to be. And in order for that to happen, the main engine for that is not a university, even a Christian one. We are not the centerpiece of transforming work. The church is. And uh, the church is the place that God intends to promote the greatest transforming change in the life of a Christian. And your church is a great ally to our university. We partner with you, we're a part of your support system, but you are central to ours. And uh, thankful for Adam, I was telling someone before the service that periodically I'll have a student that needs the kind of shepherding and counseling focus that uh, we're really not set up to do, even though we have a counseling department, we give a graduate degree in biblical counseling, but we're a training center, not a counseling center. Churches are the beachhead for counseling, and you do that, and I'm grateful for that. And so it's not uncommon for me to call your pastor and say, Adam, I need some help with this. Uh, can you partner with me in this way? And he has always been a tremendous ally. He's a favorite of our students when he preaches. And I really say that just to encourage you uh, and to say how grateful we are to you. We're about the same focus, mission, business, priority, which is seeing Christ exalted and uh, young people conformed to his likeness. Can you say amen to that? We do that together. So will you take your Bible and join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? And uh, I'm going to do something that I would tell my seminary students to do. And by the way, Tim, thank you for that gracious introduction. And uh, you have a new teammate at your house, right? Do you have Phoebe, Luke, Elizabeth, and Jack? So congratulations on Jack. Um, I would have taught them to not try to do too much in a sermon. Uh, I'm going to break that rule today uh, because I want to get to the third priority in this sermon, but you can't appreciate it if you don't understand the first two. Uh, so this is three lessons in one. This is three messages in one. So I really want you to buckle up. I'm going to highlight priorities in the first two sections, but I want to really dig into the last section because I'm convinced that there's no person here, and the subject today is gospel influence, that we are influencers of the greatest priority, both to God, because it is the mission of the gospel for which Jesus died, and for our neighbors and friends who need to know the gospel because they can't know it unless it's proclaimed. 
How can they hear without a preacher? Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. How can people know the gospel unless people share the gospel? This is a priority of gospel influence. You're a gospel influencer to somebody. You are a commissioned by God agent of grace. The greatest privilege you will know, the greatest honor you will ever have is to represent God's grace and love to someone who doesn't know it. This passage, and by the way, one, this is a recent survey, this past 2017, the question was asked, how many of evangelical Christians, how many of you have a conviction that would require of you the sharing of your faith this year to someone? One out of five. 20% would say, I have a conviction. I have an obligation. There is a burden and commission on me to promote the gospel that saves. One out of five would say, own that conviction. One of the things we attempt to do by what we do at the Master's University is to establish convictions. Parents, churches, they sow, they cultivate convictions. Our goal is to make a young adult or to influence a young adult so that they own those convictions. But it's hard to get a young person to own a conviction that churches don't own, that Christians don't own. So the first thing that I want to encourage you with today is recognizing that God is asking of us something and our neighbors are required or requiring of us something that without which they will not enjoy relationship with God. They will not experience eternal life. The gospel, the Bible is reality. And so that's the foundation of this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Paul defending himself as an apostle. And we don't have time to look at the context deeply, but bottom line, he's saying, I'm going to minimize privileges to maximize a priority. I'm going to minimize privileges to maximize a priority. I could take a believing wife. I could be paid for what I do. I could enjoy liberty and and blessing. I'm forfeiting all of the privileges so that I can maximize the priority. And that's what he begins with, verse 8, verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might, might win the more. And to the Jews... I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. The theme in this is winning. That's why the title of the message is Run to Win. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, that's moral Mosaic law, as without law. Though not being without the law of God and under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I may by all means now not win but save some. This passage, winning, is about saving. 
This passage is about sharing and communicating the good news of the gospel so that people who don't know it can hear it and receive it and be saved. Verses 19 through 23 can be summarized this way. Matter of fact, let me read verse 23. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the grace of God through faith alone in Christ alone. I do everything to promote that message that I may become a fellow partaker of it, that I can enter into its rich treasure, its amazing grace. As I share it, people receive it. I'm impacted by it. I'll say at the outset that the greatest privilege you will ever know and a rare reality for most believers in the church of Jesus Christ today is to be the agent of gospel influence. Nine out of ten, studies suggest, nine out of ten believers don't influence or lead another individual to Christ. One out of five says, I have an obligation to share that good news. The first priority The first challenge of the Apostle Paul is to adopt, this is my first point highlighted, adopt a gospel lifestyle priority. Adopt a gospel lifestyle priority. Verse 19, serve them, surrender to serve people, serve them to win them to Christ. Paul said, I've made myself a slave. I am surrendering my will and my privilege to a greater purpose. Verses 20 through 22. The second exhortation, by way of example, is to connect and communicate without compromising. Connect and communicate the good news without compromising. He said, listen, however I need to accommodate and adapt, I would. I wouldn't exchange nobility or moral integrity. I'm going to live according to the law of God. I'm not without the governing holy law of God, God's moral law, verse verse 21, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I'm holy, I'm noble, I express charity, but I am a proactive, intentional connector and communicator, both to those who are without any religious law or understanding and to those who have religious law and understanding. And if it happens to be a person who's weak in a difficult place in life, whether it's morally, spiritually, theologically, I adapt and I accommodate. I have a goal to share the good news. To the person who's beat down and beat up, I'm building bridges for the sake of the gospel. The first priority of gospel influence is the conviction that I will live my life. I will organize my life. I'll prioritize. I'll adapt a gospel-influenced lifestyle. That's the priority. Now, here's the mentality. If you're going to do that and be productive, verse 24, this may be the most familiar real estate. And by the way, let me just make one quick comment. In Acts, when Paul took his teammate Timothy with him, who was born of a Jewish mother and a Greek father, he had Timothy circumcised. 
not because circumcision was required for salvation, but to remove an obstacle to a group of people that he was going to communicate the gospel to. And then in Galatians chapter 2, Titus, who was Greek, he did not require to be circumcised because he was communicating to the Greeks, you don't have to obey Mosaic law in order to be saved. So you can study your Bible and see the adjustments. Acts 17, let's look at the idols. We're going to take this cultural reality and build a bridge to the truth of God's grace and the gospel. That's really the flavor and fabric of that first section. Okay, so now look at verse 24. This is the mentality. We move from the priority to a mentality, a winning mentality. This is where you get the title for this sermon, Run to Win. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Now, he's going to build an illustration, an analogy, something to say, all right, this is the priority. This is the mentality. I'm going to use a, a life illustration. This is, this is written to the Corinthians. The Corinthian games at that time were like our Olympic games. They would understand racing and running and Olympic commitment, Corinthian game commitment. So he's going to take an illustration and build a mentality. If you're going to own this priority, this is a winning mentality. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but only one receives the prize. Now, here's the big exhortation from Paul to God's people. My exhortation today is your brother to exhort you today to own a conviction. Run in such a way, verse 24, that you may win. It's not about participating or going through the motions of racing. It's racing in such a way, the analogy being the Christian life as a race, run your Christian life not just as a participant with a participation trophy and award, run in such a way that you may win the race, that you may secure the priority of seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the second big thought is employ a gospel-winning mentality. Adopt the gospel lifestyle priority, that's verses 19 through 23, and then employ a gospel winning mentality. Run to win. I'm going to give you five ingredients, just highlighting again, because I want to dig into the third section, which is the focal point I want to challenge you with today, God willing. What are the ingredients to running to win? What is a gospel winning mentality? Well, first of all, and involve these are five D's. Number one, determination. Determination. A resolved determination. I'm going to run to win. This is the heart core of successful run to win, winning mentality. I'm not just a Christian. I'm not just going through the motions. I'm not just a good neighbor. I'm not just doing the right thing. I am living communicating, loving, and focusing in a way that allows my life to influence my neighbor's life so that they come to hear the good news. I am running to win. I am not just going through the motions. This is desire. This is passion. This is conviction. 
This is a determination. This is a decision. Paul said, run to win. Don't just go through the motions. Number two, exercise discipline, rigorous discipline. This is a winning mentality. Begins with a resolved determination. Matter of fact, you can track any. We have coaches over at Masters. You you would hear this in any sports periodical from any group of coaches. I just got back from an FCA camp in Nebraska. I'm with some professional athletes, and they we were talking about this very thing, the difference between greatness and just being good is a mentality. I'm not just playing the game. I'm going to win the game. It's what makes great athletes great. It's what makes great Christians great influencers. I'm not just going through the motions. I have a resolved determination. It's what sets Michael Jordan apart, LeBron James. They're not just playing. They are playing to win. That's the mentality that needs to be translated into our Christian experience. Elizabeth Elliot has said, it is not, if it's not worth dying for, then it's not worth living for. That's a passionate perspective about priority number two rigorous discipline verse 25 this is the second ingredient to a winning mentality everyone notice no exceptions who competes in the games agonizomai this is effort that's the word compete so where we get agony from it's sweat effort it's rigorous regimen everyone who competes in these games exercising great commitment and energy, sweating. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. This is discipline. This is rigorous discipline. This is restriction. Exercises self-control. Now watch this word, in all things. No exceptions and no exclusions. Now listen, if you were going to compete in these Corinthian games You dedicated one year of your life to prep for those games. You moved from your town, your city, to a camp. For 10 months, you followed a super strict diet prescribed. You had no relations with family, friends, or spouse. You exchanged liberty, privilege, freedom, diet, chastity, all of it in order to compete. You said no to certain things, and you said yes to the work in other things. On the positive side, this rigorous discipline shows up by choosing to do the things that promote the goal. Michael Phelps, maybe one of the greatest Olympic swimmers ever, six days a week, 50 miles a week, he would swim two times a day, six hours every day, 50 miles a week swimming. LeBron James works out every day. Spends 1.5 million dollars on health and fitness. He has a hyperbaric chamber, hyperoxygen. He has a masseuse. He has a trainer. He has a biomechanics person, a former Navy SEAL. He has a team. He has a personal chef. 1.5 million, Kevin Durant, who competes with him in the NBA, says he dedicates everything to the health of his body so he can succeed longer and better. That's rigorous discipline, not to win an NBA championship. It's run to win like Olympic athletes run to win, 
by exercising extraordinary discipline. Listen, you need to be memorizing key passages of the Bible so you're available to teach or to open your mouth and speak those passages of the Scripture. You should be able to memorize and communicate the gospel from the Scriptures to someone who needs to hear the Scriptures. You need to know defenses for your faith. You start with the reality of the truth, and then you undergird it with principles and precepts. That takes work. You need to master the gospel. You need to know the meta-narrative. Hey, listen, God created us for goodness, glory, but we were damaged by evil. We were doomed by choice, the fall of man, and God revealed himself, ransomed us, and rescued us potentially through the person of his son. God came to do what we couldn't do. Christianity stands alone. It's salvation by grace, unmerited favor, through faith in Christ alone. Not works, lest any man should boast. Most people don't know that. You enjoy the treasure of that truth. You need to be able to master its content and how to share it. Athletes work really hard to be really good at their skill set. A Christian needs to be working really hard and mastering their skill set. Oh, and then there's a wealth of things you have to say no to. Things that other people enjoy. Exercising self-control in all things. It's not just saying yes, rigorous discipline. It's learning to say no. Showing restraint. What you don't do. Exercising restraint in the words you choose, in the morals you display, in the nobility of your life, in your visual mediums, in your music you choose. I was talking to a parent recently who was talking to their young son about the music they listen to and the content of the lyric and the words and, ah, oh, dad, it's just the music. It, it doesn't, it's, it's, the, it's the entertainment value. So he printed out the words and he gave him those words. And he said, go to your mother and read those words out loud. He couldn't. There's things you have to say no to. Here's a, a pastor to brothers and sisters in Christ. Your testimony and your influence is not worth entertainment value. Your testimony, the things you say no to, are not because you have to as a legalist. It's because you want to, to be an agent of influence. There's choices you make. There's places you go or don't go. There's liberties you forfeit. Not because you can't but because your life matters in somebody else's life eternally. Paul's, Paul writes here, they exercise self-control in everything. What a marvelous illustration. There's proms they don't, don't go to, there's gatherings they miss, all for the sake of a perishable wreath. Verse 25, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath a temporary prize. It was a pine wreath, a laurel wreath that would go on their head. It would be presented in public. But you know what happened in their hometown? When they went to their hometown, there would be a party thrown. That town would enjoy fame and privilege in the empire because of that athlete's accomplishment. His family would receive special treatment to win those games. The next year at the games, the family would be honored in a special box seat. Privilege but it's temporary. 
I never forget reading about O.J. Simpson who sold his Heisman Award. He needed the money. Obviously, it didn't mean as much to him as it would mean to others. These are temporary rewards. They run, they invest, they sacrifice for something that's here today, gone tomorrow, temporary, though impactful. We do it to receive an imperishable reward, something that won't go away. We're laying up treasure in heaven. Listen, when you get to heaven, let me tell you one of the things the epistles say. When you get to heaven, there will be a welcoming. You will be welcomed with joy and gladness by those you influence for the sake of the gospel. That'll never go away. Ever go away. Rigorous discipline for a greater prize. Number three, the third ingredient is not just rigorous discipline or resolved determination, but real direction. And I chose the word real, one, because it's an R, but two, because it involves real people that you really know. Notice what it says in verse 26. Therefore, because I want to win, it's not a perishable wreath. It's not here today, gone tomorrow. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. Delos, I have a target. I'm shooting at something. I have a real direction. I have real people that I'm really focused on sharing the good news. We would put the word goals. I'm, I'm going someplace. I'm tar- targeted. You know, one of the questions you need to ask yourself are, what are your sharing disciplines, and then what are your sharing goals? 68, listen to this, 68% of people who proclaim faith do so before the age of 17. The largest percentage of people that receive the gospel who profess Christ do so between the ages of 10 and 12. By the time they hit 17, 7 out of 10 have come to faith. One, percentage-wise, 1% will come to faith after the age of 65. 13% will come to faith after the age of 40. So if you're going to look at gospel target, the first thing I would propose to you is target the most fertile audience. Secondly, target the neighbors that God has providentially put into your life. You are in Placerita Canyon, Newhall, Santa Clarita, California. You are not in Birmingham, Alabama, where I serve. Your voice of influence is where you live and work. It's where you go to school. Goal. Target your neighbors. Let me give you three things to do tactically, which is the second thing. I don't just beat the air. I have design. I have relevant design. I have realistic design. I have a tactic, a strategy. Can I give you three things I want to encourage this church to focus on today? One is pray for your neighbors. By name, pick five, pick three, I encourage you to pick five by name. Neighbors. Who, Harry, who's my neighbor? Well, one, the person who lives near you. Two, the person you work near. The students you go to school with. The athletes you play with. The people in your world. That's your neighbor. 
somebody you run into on the traffic journey of life. They have a need. You're in proximity to meet the need. Pray for your neighbor daily. Two, care for your neighbor practically. See a need, meet a need. Talk to God about them before you talk to them about God. That's pray for your neighbor. Tim mentioned the fact that I take pictures and I pray for people. I'm going to encourage you to get your neighbor to send you a family picture. It's easy. Hey, I'm Harry. I'm your neighbor. Hector, I'm a Christian. I pray. I'd like to pray for your family. I don't know them all. Do you mind sending me a picture with names? I'm not a stalker. I'm a prayer. Now, you know what happens in that transaction? A beachhead is built and a bridge begins. Because here's my conviction. Every unsaved person needs a Christian in their life. Every unsaved person is going to come to a place in their life where they need a truth teller and a God lover. I'm convinced every unsaved person needs a pastor in their life. Because life happens. Now listen, I have the training to be a pastor like this, but you're a shepherd in somebody else's life. You're a priest, according to 1 Peter. You're a bridge builder to the lost. You're an agent who can influence them for Christ. Know their names. Pray for them by name. Here's an acrostic, the bless acrostic. Here's how you pray. Be, bless, pray for their physical health, their body. Pray L for their labor that they'll be fruitful and productive. Pray E for their emotional stability, that they'll be healthy emotionally. S, pray for their social relationships, family, friends, spouse, children. Pray for S, their spiritual relationship. Their body, their labor, their emotions, their social life, and their spiritual life. By name, daily. Care for them practically. See a need, meet a need. Step up. You can't give to everybody. You can't serve everybody, but you can serve your neighbor when God puts you providentially in that place. You don't do it to get something. You do it to give something. I love you. I care about you. I'm willing to invest in you. Now listen, I came from Birmingham. People are very, very friendly there. But they're not much different there than they are here. You can be in a neighborhood and not know any of your neighbors. They're like, you know, they scatter when they see you coming. You got to be proactive. Walk across the street. Hi, I'm Harry. I'm new to the neighborhood. I'm married to Karen. I just wanted to meet you. Oh, here's some cookies. Welcome to the neighborhood. They may throw them out because they're not sure they're edible. <laughs> but it's the thought that counts. Amen? All right, so you're, you're praying for your neighbor. You're caring practically for your neighbor. And listen. You're sharing intentionally the good news with your neighbor. Now, I'm absolutely convinced if you'll do the first two, you'll get to do the third one. You don't have to barge in. You don't have to intrude. The door will open. My philosophy is I'm moving towards you with that goal. If you're backing up, I'll step back because I don't want to drive you away. But I'm chasing you. And I'm not sad about that. I'm not apologizing for that because everything in eternity rides on that for you. 
I'm telling you, your neighbors will never understand how you could say you were a Christian that you loved if you don't share the good news with them, which is the message of love that transforms their life. You agree with that? Design, relevant design, and real goals. Listen, just one more thing. God made you the way you are. There are passions you have, exploit them. There's, there's interests you have, exploit them. I'm a, I'm a go-fast person. I like motorcycles. I like cars. I fly airplanes. Those are things I like. Everybody doesn't like those things. But you know what? God made me the way he made me. And it gives me an opportunity through cycling or other things to build relationships. My wife's a horse person. I didn't read the fine print. I didn't know that. I loved her. She loves horses. I became a horse person. But she has relationships through horses. You have art, music, stuff you're into. If you don't have a hobby, find one. Do something to build relationships with people who share the passions you have. I've seen more people come to faith through motorcycling than any other interest I have. People talk. I'm no threat. I ride, they ride. We can talk. If you're a hunter, that's how it works in the world of hunting. That's how it works in the world of horses. We're horse people. We relate. Take a hobby. Take an interest. Take a spiritual passion or a natural passion and exploit it. Use it. Don't ignore it. I'm going to be nowhere near your world if you're into certain things. You're into music, you won't even see me on the radar. But if you're going somewhere fast, you'll see me. <laughs> I'll be out on the crest running the two or Angeles Forest. That's my crowd. Newcomb's Ranch up on the crest filled every Saturday and Sunday and every holiday with tons of people that love curvy roads and great weather. That's where you'll find me. Where are you going to be found? Leverage it tactically, intentionally. You're not that way by accident. And then finally, yep, I'm not going to make my goal, but I'll share this anyway. Diligent domination. Relentless domination, because we have to have an R and a D. Relentless domination. Verse 26, I therefore run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. That's design. Verse 27, but I buffet my, I buffet my body. You've, Adam's probably done that, right? I, I'm good at the buffet part. <laughs> I buffet. Hupayadzo. Apiadzo from the word optic. Hupo around the eye. It meant to be beaten around the face. If you anything about cage fighting, and I don't watch it, it's too violent for me, and I played college football. But I've seen highlights where guys are on the ground and the guy's pounding his face until he taps out. Hupayadzo, buffet, is to beat around the face into submission. I beat myself so that I might not become disqualified. I buffet my body. I make it my slave. My passions don't dominate me. I dominate my passions. I buffet my body. I'm relentless. Anything that resists, any passion that conflicts, I'm on it. 
my favorite pastor, who's my pastor today, John MacArthur, in the front of his Bible, it says, confess sin quickly. This is deal with stuff right away. You ever see, I used to take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese. Do you know what that is out here? Do we have them? Okay, they have the whack-a-mole thing. Do they have that here? You know, we get a little hammer thing, and a little mole comes up, and boom. And your whole thing is, wherever that mole comes up, you're on it. The whole game is to crack them on the head before they have a chance to get down. This is that. This is relentless domination. It crops up its head. I'm dealing with it. Why? Because it doesn't matter who I am. I can be adakamas. I can be disqualified. I can lose gospel influence. I can forfeit my voice. But I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. I I spent three years with Jesus. I've been all over the world. I'm Paul. Listen, Paul says, lest I myself become disqualified. And who can be disqualified? I can be. If Paul can be, Harry can be. If Paul can be, you can be. Dominate your passions. Make your body a slave so that you can become what God wants you to be. If you're going to run to win, if you're going to win the victor's prize, listen to 2 Timothy 2.5. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Moral rules, truth rules, conduct, voice, words, influence. Now, I don't have time to walk you through it the way I'd hoped to, but I want to read this next section. Maybe it's a place for personal study because there is a conjunction that begins chapter 10, which gives the third part of the winning mentality, and that's avoid losing gospel opportunity. The word for is a conjunction that connects the word disqualified to the ways you can be disqualified no matter who you are. You can enjoy extraordinary privilege. You can have extraordinary spiritual experience. I was telling one of your men earlier today at the sound uh, board back there, one of the biggest players I know of in gospel influence, he was going to preach for me this year, disqualified himself this two weeks ago. Done. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how much experience you have, doesn't matter how many privileges you enjoy, you can forfeit your voice. You can lose influence and you can lose abundance. Chapter 10. Four. You already said, I don't want to be disqualified, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, which is a way of saying they all enjoyed the benefit of spiritual illumination, actually literal illumination, the cloud brought light, protection, the cloud separated the enemy from the Israelites, and direction, the cloud led them like a pillar of fire during the day, or a pillar of fire by night, and a cloud by day. They were all all is used five times, all were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, that's spiritual salvation and rescue, all of them were baptized in the Moses, that means they were initiated into his leadership, in the cloud and in the sea, so they saw God lead in the pillar, they saw Moses lead on behalf of God through the rescue and through the journey 
Verse 3, all ate the same spiritual food, manna from heaven. So spiritual provision, spiritual direction, spiritual protection. Verse 4, all drank the same spiritual drink. That's water from a rock. They were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So all of the wilderness journey, all of that was typifying Christ and indicating the same spiritual blessings and privileges that all believers have. The divine direction, deliverance, protection, provision was typical of Christ. Things provided in him, things provided through him. Listen, you know this. That's what Paul's saying. They all did. But look at verse 5. Nevertheless, despite all that privilege, despite all that experience that they enjoyed, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Laid low, some of them died. Laid low is disqualified. Laid low, most of them. Do you know how many most was? All but two. That's a sobering reality. How many Israelites were qualified to enter the land of promise, which is a place of abundance. Canaan was not heaven. Heaven doesn't have double-walled cities or giants. There were giants and double-walled cities. That's this life. Going in, there are places for you to enjoy an abundance, vineyards you didn't plant, cities you didn't build. You follow me, you trust me, you walk with me, you'll enjoy the benefits of flowing milk and honey. The abundant life. How many Israelites who left Egypt with miraculous deliverance, enjoyed miraculous food, supernatural leadership, from place to place, how many got into the land of abundance? This many. This many. Paul said, buffet your body, make it your slave. Because most of us are going to be laid low when it comes to the experience of abundance and the impact of spiritual gospel influence. You know what Israel was supposed to be? A missionary nation. By the festivals they had, the sacrifices they offered, the morals they displayed, they were to be agents of influence to let the world see a God they didn't know so that they could enjoy blessing from God and the illustration of the nation of Israel. Your life is meant to be influence and full of abundance. And you're going to be laid low if you don't buffet your body and make it your slave. Verse 6, now these things happened as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. Now here are four gospel forfeiters, influence forfeiters. Number one is idolatry. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Now they had a golden calf. I don't think anybody here is going to probably think about it. I think I'm going to manufacture something, put it in the room and worship it. What the golden calf signified was manufacturing your own God when you're afraid. Remember, Moses was gone. This is Exodus 32. Where's Moses? There is, can't find him. Where did he go? We need a God. You make us a God. Make us a golden calf so we have somebody we can identify with and we have security through. These are manufactured, me manufacturing my own coping tools and my hoping in the future realities. That's idolatry. And then celebrating that. Verse 7 
And some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and stood up to play. It just means celebrating the God they had manufactured as if they had something in the thing that they had made. Listen, we identify with work, smart, sports, music. We have stuff in our life we can control. They become gods to us. They're priorities for us. They're security for us. And we celebrate those things. That'll disqualify you from gospel influence. People in the world, they know whether God's first or something else is. They just watch. Number two, verse eight, second gospel forfeiter, nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. This is Numbers 25. Don't have time to look at it, but you should. This is cultural compromise that leads to moral compromise. Immorality. Who wants to hear the gospel from someone who culturally compromises and morally compromises? How many died that day? According to this text, 23,000. Morality's a big deal. Verse 9, third gospel forfeiter, forfeiter in terms of influence. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and was destroyed by the serpents. Now these are the fiery serpents. You can look it up, Numbers 21, 5 and 6. The people of Israel enjoyed a great victory and then they became impatient because God took them the long way. So why are you taking us this way? And by the way, we don't like this loathsome food, this miserable heaven manna, tired of it. Don't like the food, don't like the water, don't like the plan. Oh, and by the way, don't like Moses. And I'm impatient. Let me tell you what trying the Lord is. Bottom line, questioning God about the plan and provision of God and those who lead you ordained by God. This is where I really wanted to get today because questioning and complaining are forfeiters of gospel influence. And the fiery serpents, they didn't say how many died. People died until the bronze serpent was held up because they were complainers and they were questioners. They were, they were unwilling followers. Verse 10, the internal grumbling and the communicating expresses itself in complaining, now gr nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. That's 14,700 grumbled against Moses and Aaron they influenced the leaders of Israel, the grumblers, Nathan, Adab, and Abihu, and they died. Grumbling against leadership. Now, verse 11, I'm done with this. Now, these things happened to them as an example. An example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. What happened to them can happen to us. Idolatry, immorality, questioning, complaining, forfeit gospel influence. Consequences are high. Saw my first rattlesnake here in the canyon last two weeks ago. My wife was walking to the back of the house by the wood pile, behind the wood pile. She saw the rattlesnake. She came and got me, rattlesnake wrangler Harry. I came out, saw the snake thinking, now what do I do about this? I am not a snake wrangler. I proved that in Birmingham when I had a little 14-inch garden snake in my hallway. Went and got it with 
hot dog tongs. <laughs> Grabbed it behind the neck, held it up, took it out of the house. The reason I know this happened because we had a full moon. I'm thinking, I'm just going to throw this into the woods. Do you know, there, I play college football. I throw footballs. I do things like that. You can't throw with a set of tongs the same way. <laughs> so as I released the tongs, the snake went up, silhouetted, <laughs> snake came down. Do you really want me handling your rattlesnake? No, you don't. So I said to my wife, did you read about that guy in Texas? Cut the head off of the rattlesnake and then it bit him 26 anti-ventum shots to save his life when it's normally two to four? That had just happened. So I said to my wife, you know what I'm going to do? Call the fire department. Because <laughs> you know what I don't know? What I don't know. I don't know how far they can leap. I don't know what they look like when they do. I don't know any of that. <laughs> and I want to learn from the guy in Texas. I don't want to be the guy in Santa Clarita that makes headlines. So they came. They dispatched to the snake. I mean, they, they obviously had it down. And you say, why are you telling us this? Because something bad happened to somebody that prevented maybe something bad happening to this somebody. Something bad happened to the Israelites that I don't want to have happen to you, which exchange abundance and influence and misrepresent God and the gospel that affects everybody, even the people that matter the most. Can you say amen to that? So, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the light that they are, the influence they have. Maximize it, multiply it. Lord, thanks for letting me and our university be a neighbor. I just pray in Jesus' name that they will adopt a gospel priority lifestyle, that they'll employ a winning mentality for the sake of the gospel, that, Lord, they'll do everything to avoid losing gospel opportunity. I commend them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.